Again, we're honored you're here today. And I want to kind of start this month off, the month of October, kind of leading towards that weekend for Heart for the House weekend. So I want to talk a little bit about the heart. You know, the Bible says to guard your heart because it is actually the wellspring of life. It's where life really comes from. And I was reading a little bit earlier this morning, and God reminded me uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 of this particular verse. It won't come up on the screens uh, because they don't have it in the system, but uh, I just kind of wrote it down here in my journal. So I want to share it with you today. The writer writes the church at Galatians says, let us not grow weary. Anybody feel a little weary today? A little tired, weary? Three of y'all do, okay? Awesome. The rest of you are highly alert. That's awesome. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Did you know you can get tired while you're trying to do good things? And the Bible says, hey, let's not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart, is what the writer writes the church at Galatia. It says, don't grow weary, don't grow tired of doing what is good. And that tells me that we can grow tired of doing what is good. We can actually do, be doing acts of kindness, acts of service. We can actually be doing ministry in the church, helping our community and get weary. But it also reminds us in due season, we will reap a harvest if we don't lose the heart of why we started doing what we are doing in the first place. So what I want to talk about today is the heart of this community called Barefoot Church. And I want to kind of talk today in a vein of a place that God has taken me to in my life over the last week or so to the end of the Bible, to his word. And it's... uh, Revelation, Revelation chapter two and chapter three. And actually Revelation chapter two and chapter three is where a man named John got a vision of Jesus in his resurrected state in Revelation one. And then Jesus gives him a message to write down to the churches in Asia Minor so that they could be what they were supposed to be in the meantime until he returned here to earth. And so he actually writes in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, he writes seven different churches there, seven different congregations in in Asia Minor, and he shares with them God's heart and reminds them not to grow weary in doing good, but also to remember why they started what they were doing in the first place. And this week, as I began to think about Heart for the House weekend, the last weekend of this month, and I was sitting on my back porch, I've been thinking about it a few weeks, what to teach and kind of how to lead up to that weekend to invite you to be a part of something greater than yourself, to be a part of a community, a family, a church, and really do some awesome things. And I thought about how, how do I inspire the people with the vision that God has placed on our heart as Barefoot Church? And again, it didn't, it didn't start this way, 
but it has expanded to God has shown us that we are to reach thousands of people with the good news of Christ. And that's what he has called us as a church to do. He doesn't call all churches to do that, but he has been clear and gave us a snapshot of the future. And we are to reach thousands of people and, you know, possibly through doing multi-site campuses. However, as God began to show me that vision again, I actually began to lose heart. I actually this week, my faith grew weak because the dream that God showed me years ago, my wife, my son, and myself moved to this community 14 years ago in October of 2003, this actual weekend 14 years ago. Two years later, the church started in the high school. We actually started gathering a small group of people in our living room and eventually went to a hotel conference room eventually went to the high school and birthed this community called Barefoot Church. And as we birthed that church and eventually moved into this facility, God began to lead us into multiple services and to do more and to begin to grow our numbers rapidly. You know, God is into numbers. How many of you know that today? There's a whole book written about numbers. Literally, God talks about numbers over and over in the Bible. The Bible says whenever at, the, at Pentecost, whenever Peter preached the message, 3,000 people on that day responded to the good news of Christ. And God says, hey, here's what I want you to do, church. Be fruitful and multiply. As you're going in the world, make sure you expand what has started. God's heart is to grow his numbers. However... And giving a vision of reaching thousands of people and it not happening on my timetable and as fast as I would like it to happen, nor with the way I think it's going to happen. And we've been kind of sitting in what I call in a stagnant place. I mean, we have people come, people go. We live in a transient community. And, you know, we've had we've had a thousand people leave our church in one season. And I don't know if you know it or not, but when you're trying to go to tens of thousands of people and a thousand leave, that can be disheartening. That can begin to suck the life out of a dream that you saw. And and why I'm telling you all of this today is because I want us to have a heart to do what God has called us to do as a community. But when you're trying to inspire and motivate and you stand up here with a microphone every weekend and tell people your life matters and God wants you to be a part and hey, let's go get them and everybody's cheering and everybody's hollering and everybody's like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Then it don't happen. You begin to lose heart. Your faith begins to grow weak in what God showed you. Has your faith grown weak? And what God showed you about something in your life. Because it, it just is not happening yet. It's not being executed yet. It's not coming to pass. And not only is it not coming to pass. Sometimes it feels like instead of moving forward, you're moving five steps backward. Any, anybody else experience things like this or am I the only one? Just, just curious. So how do you keep the heart? 
How do you keep plowing ground? How do you keep moving forward? How do you expect the harvest whenever, whenever things aren't growing and things aren't producing and things aren't doing what you designed it to do? Well, you have to have strong faith. But can I tell you something? Life itself seems to suck the faith that we have right out of us, doesn't it? And, and that happens to, to pre- this is confessions of a pastor up here in, in case, you know, you didn't know what was going on. And again, I'm not, I'm not just kind of trying to share my sob story, but I'm, I'm trying to be real with you and help you know a place of discouragement. I, I came in my journey as I'm thinking about the heart for the house and the vision. Because I can tell you right now, when you have a vision for thousands and you see one empty seat in one service, one empty seat. And you have a vision and God showed you thousands. It's disheartening to look and there'd be a empty seat. You're like, no, God, you showed me thousands. People from all different backgrounds, all different social classes, all different races, all different economic classes, little, small uh, genders, male and female. God, you showed me a, a congregation worshiping you full of thousands of people. And I ain't just talking about Easter or Christmas Eve. God, God, you showed me week after week, tens of thousands of people worshiping together. And God, you know what? I'm getting a little disheartened here. I'm getting a little bit to a place where I don't know if it's going to happen. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people told me it ain't going to happen. So what do you do? You can't lose heart. You can't stop mobilizing. You can't stop challenging. You can't stop saying, let's do what God has called us to do as a church. But as you begin to listen to everything around you and what you see, I'm sorry, but, but you become disheartened a lot of times. Because your faith is growing weak and your flesh, like a better way to say it, is growing strong. You're believing what you're physically encountering instead of having faith in what God has already showed you and said. You know, talking about empty seats, I went to a leadership conference years ago. And this great pastor and church leader by the name of Bishop T.D. Jakes, anybody know who he is? Thought you did. He said something. He leads thousands of people around the world, actually. He says, look, and he was speaking to pastors and leaders. He says, you know, if God gives you a vision for multiple thousands of people, and and he says, recognize the people that are in the room and see the people in the room, but also visualize the people who aren't in the room yet, too, and speak to the chairs as if they're coming next week. In other words, get faith and believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Get, get, get a heart. And, 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 and the reason I share all that with you, that's kind of the place not to whine and cry about where I was in my journey. But I, I was thinking about the vision again. And God simply reminded me to see the spectacular, it always starts with simplicity. Wow. To see the spectacular, it always starts with simplicity. 
And he says, I, I want you to go back to the basics, go back to the simplicity and the things that I showed you and the things this all started with. Because you know what? If you're going to see the church be what I've called it to be, this community called Barefoot, you, you need to share with the people the heart of this church. And he took me to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I read through all the accounts of the seven churches and I was quickly reminded that as John penned this letter down to the churches, the church's leaders and what was going on in the churches, the good and the bad, what Jesus had to say to them. And he said, hey, you know what? As I speak to these seven churches, plural, you need to understand what I'm saying to, to the churches so that you can fulfill the vision that I've given you as a church. And it says at the end of every one of those encounters, as he lists out those seven churches, he says, let everyone with ears hear and listen to what the spirit of God is saying to the churches, plural, not just one church, but to the churches, plural, and understand what he's saying. So I'm like, God, I don't want to grow weary. I don't want to lose faith. I don't want to lose heart. And I, I sit on my back porch and I weep over where we were. Actually, I was feeling a little sorry for myself. Kind of like a prophet in the Old Testament I'm going to share with you about in just a few moments. I'm like, God, why? Why is this, is this not happening fast enough? So if there's anything that's not happening fast enough in your life, today I think you'll be encouraged by the word. And it says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as he says to write the seven churches, he says, write this letter to the angel of the church of the church in Ephesus, this is the first one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the leader of the church of Ephesus. He says, this is what the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And in case that's kind of language some of us don't understand, if we go back and read chapter one where John got a vision of Jesus, not as a suffering servant on a cross, like a lot of us have, but as a risen king sitting on his throne in glory, that's the vision he got in Revelation. And if anybody ever asks you what Revelation is about, it's not, just, it's not a revelation of the end times. It's a revelation of Jesus in his risen state as king of kings and lord of lords. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the book should inspire us. Not discourage us. See, when you get a vision of Jesus in his resurrected state and what he has said about himself, what he is getting ready to say about himself, and what is still yet to come when he is going to return, it changes everything. And so first he says in Revelation 1, hey, John, I need you to get this vision down right of who I am and currently where I am sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. I'm large and in charge and all authority has been given to me. Now I need you to speak to the churches and help remind them of who they are so they don't get tired and 
grow weary in doing good and doing what I've called them to do in the meantime. Because a little bit later in the book, it says, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to put all my enemies under my feet. And I'm going to, the called out ones, I'm going to gather them together. And we're going to celebrate in this new Jerusalem, in this, in this city that comes down from heaven on earth. And I'm going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're going to celebrate together. So you need to get the church excited about doing good again. And and so there in chapter one, talks about the lampstands. And the lampstands actually represent the churches. That's really important to know for the rest of this passage. The churches. Jesus is the light of the world. The light come into the world. The lampstands hold the light up and expose the light to all of those who don't know him. And it's the lampstands are mentioned in, in actually different places. They're all throughout Asia Minor. And, and I believe the reason the Spirit spoke to, the, to John about the churches in Asia Minor is because he's in prison right off the coast of Asia Minor in a, on a little island called Patmos. And he says, write this down for those seven churches, those seven congregations around Asia Minor. And I need to help them understand why they exist. And he says, so the one who walks among the churches, the seven golden lampstands, he says, tell the one in Ephesus, I know all the things you do. He says, I've seen your hard work. Anybody working hard for Jesus in here today? Come on, God sees you. He says, and your patient endurance. Anybody enduring things that they feel like, whew. He says, I know you don't tolerate evil people. Anybody not tolerate evil people? Here he's speaking of not, not accepting people for where they are and taking them where they can be. He's just like, you don't let people come in and screw up what I'm doing in the church. He says, you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. In other words, you've got great wisdom. You know how to discern who is sent and who's not. He's telling the church this. He says, I have discovered, you have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Anybody not ruined the towel yet today? Hadn't quit? Hadn't give up on God? Okay. He says, man, that's great. Awesome. Keep going. Now, whenever somebody gives you a compliment and says, look, I see all the things you're doing. You're working hard. You're enduring. You're not quitting. You're bringing sound a doctor. You're like, Yes. He says, but I got this complaint against you. What? Yeah, I got a complaint against you. I know you're working hard. You're running the 363 ministry all over the city. You're doing all these good deeds throughout the world. You're serving in the church every single weekend. You're lifting the name of Jesus. You got perfect attendance. He says, but hey, I got a complaint. Let me me show it to you. He says, I got this point against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, I find that fascinating because he's saying, look, I want to commend you for the work that you're doing, but you have lost heart in the work that you're doing and you need to keep on doing the work that you did at first. But remember, do it with heart. 
Listen to what he just said. He's commending them for, for doing the work of the ministry. God always calls us to do work. God calls us to expand his vision. God calls us to do hard things, things by faith, things that don't make sense sometimes in the flesh. He calls us to step out on faith. But he says, look, always, never, ever, ever, ever do this work and get so busy doing the work of the ministry and building and doing all of these great things in your community, feeding the poor, having conferences, you know, inviting people in, doing this, doing that, and getting so, so busy, you know what, that that you lose heart. I wonder if that's happened to anybody here. You got so busy with trying to fix your marriage that you lost the heart of your marriage. You've gotten so busy doing work. I'm talking about you're working three jobs, man. You're a waitress at night. You're working for Lowe's during the day. You're picking up babysitting money here. And there just never seems to be enough money, but you're tired, you're wore down, you're losing heart, and you don't know if it'll ever be fixed in your life. You're busy, 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 but you lost the heart of why you went to work in the first place. You know, I just want to speak to employment there for just a second. It's amazing how sometimes people can get a good job. And they say, I'm going to go to work every day and I agree to make this paycheck and work hard for you, Mr. Employer, and do this particular thing. And on Friday or every other Friday or whatever else it be every month, I'm getting a paycheck. Hallelujah. I'm going to be Superman at this job. Super Wonder Woman. But after three weeks, you show up like Mighty Mouse. And you were going to do something whenever you had the right heart of why you went to work before. But then when the employer asked you to do something you didn't want to do, I lost heart. I forgot why he gave me the job in the first place. Or she gave me the job in the first place. You You ever seen that happen? It's like the longer we go sometimes and the more we do and the more we participate, the easier it is to lose heart. And, and, and again, I, I really think that just comes from busyness, unawareness sometimes of, of really why we started in the first place. But he says, listen, he says, look, he says, I want, here's what I want you to do. And this is the part that really speaks to me and I want to speak to us about. He says, you don't love me or each other like you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. And he says this, turn back to me, turn back. Everybody say turn back. And do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, if you don't turn away from the way you're going and turn back to me, he says, I will come and remove your lamp stand, your, your particular holder of the light from its place among the churches. In other words, he says, I'm going to come and remove your purpose, what I gave you to do, from the churches. Did you know that God assigns every congregation to something unique? To do something 
for the glory of God in their community, sharing the message of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and how that empowers people to be who God has created them to be. Then he calls them to plant themselves, root themselves in the house of the Lord, and be a part and grow. And he says, look, if, if they don't, if, if, if you don't get back to the purpose of what I called your house to do, your group to do, then what I'll do is this opportunity that I gave you. You know, God gives us the opportunity to serve in his kingdom. God gives us the opportunity to be a part of his family. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so you and I could respond by faith and be a part of his family. It's a privilege and an honor to put our faith in the grace gift of Jesus and then get in the game and be a part of what he's doing and have a unique assignment in the world and fulfill our assignment. But what the Bible teaches is that God gives unique, unique kind of, I guess, faces or unique kind of personalities to different congregations. And look, if you don't do what I called you to do as a congregation, well, I'll just come remove that opportunity, that lampstand from among the churches and give that opportunity to somebody else. Wow. And and, and see, that doesn't only apply to the church, that applies to your individual life. You, You know, it's an opportunity. You and I, we have a life full of opportunities. However, if we serve in the opportunity and lose the heart of the one that called us to the opportunity, then he says, look, here's the deal. I'll just come take it away from you and give it to somebody else. It's amazing. And so God reminded me, hey, I I, I want you to get back to the heart. I want you to come back. And then he goes on to say, he says, but I do, I do comment on you. He says, you, you have this favor. You hate evil deeds of the Nicolaitans and just as I do. And he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. Everybody say victorious. I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And he says, not only do I want you to serve and not only do I want you to serve with the right heart, I want you to remember that, you know what, everyone who is victorious, everyone's whose faith continues to do the good work and connect with the right heart. He says there is a new day coming that is going to be a victorious day. And you know what, that's going to be an awesome day. So how do you stay at it? How do you not lose faith? How do you not begin to to let your faith get weak. And I think that just outlined for us actually how to do that. But before I get there, I want to go back and I want to look at an Old Testament prophet that had the same problem that, that I have and probably a lot, of, a lot of you have in order in understanding our heart and how to connect our heart to God's vision and, ex- and execute it by faith. That prophet's name was Elijah. The Bible records 32 unique miracles that God did through this man named Elijah in the Old Testament before Jesus came. I'm sorry, 16. Elijah did 32. He was the, 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 the one that followed after Elijah, and he did, he, got a, he, he did double of what Elijah did. However, there's 16 unique miracles 
And so God showed Elijah himself through doing miraculous things, big things, huge things, monstrous things, things he could see and everybody else could see and say, wow, there must be a God. And Elijah saw the hand of God, but he got discouraged in his calling and his faith. I mean, maybe you've seen miracles. I've seen miracles. We've seen thousands of people announce Jesus as the king of their life through public baptism here at Barefoot Church. Thousands already we've seen, and that's a miracle. We've seen things happen. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen bodies, physical people healed. We've seen relationships put back together. We've seen God do some incredible, incredible things. And it seems like whenever we see God do these amazing, amazing things, our faith would grow stronger instead of getting to a place it grows weak in the vision that God gave us. But Elijah is an example. Of you can see God do amazing things. You can see God raise somebody from the dead. And then lose heart in what he's called you to do. You can see God heal your body of cancer. Remove that tumor that nobody said could be out of your body. And the doctor goes back in and says, it's a miracle. I don't know how it disappeared, but it was removed. Can I, can I tell you, you can, you can see that and still lose heart and faith in what God called you to do. You can see God do the supernatural. And, and it seems like we would be inspired by that. But have you ever seen anybody who God did heal them miraculously? Maybe he saved their life physically and they're on fire for 10 minutes. Praise God, praise Jesus, hallelujah. And then about three months later, they lose faith in the one that healed their body. And forget to expose them to the rest of the world. See, see that's the danger of a miracle in our life is we don't understand miracles are done for God's message to get through us to the rest of the world. God doesn't just do a miracle to do a miracle because you were good looking like me. God does a miracle to get a message through to his people. And so Elijah had seen God do these amazing miracles, but then what happened is a king a king actually saw Elijah do some miracles, went and reported to his wife, Jezebel, what had happened. Jezebel threatens Elijah, and Elijah had seen God work on his behalf in the face of 450 people that was against him, all kinds of crazy stuff. And this one woman named Jezebel says, look, I'm going to take your life. And instead of operating by faith and believing what God had said, the Bible says that Elijah became fearful and began to run away. From the community. He just saw God come down and show his face to 450 false worshipers and light dead wood and wet wood on fire because he called it down from heaven. He saw God do this amazing miracle. But then Jezebel's like, hey, look, you, you, you tell Elijah I'm going to come take him out. And I want to show you this account because, see, maybe you're looking for God to do something big in your life today. And God just wants you to, to go back 
to where it all started. And he grabbed hold of your heart and he wants to mobilize you forward. Look what it says. Elijah was afraid. He was afraid for his life because Jezebel threatened him. And he went to Beersheba, a town um, in Judea, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone. So he left his, his friend there, his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a, a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. In other words, God, I saw you do a miracle. I saw you do something incredible. I saw you do something fantastic. But this woman's threatening my life. And if this is all, all of what this is about, then here's the deal. I just want to die. He prayed that he would die. He says, God, I've had enough. Take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. He had experienced God in doing miracles, but his faith had grown weak. And so now he leaves the shade tree and he goes deeper. He goes deeper into a cave and he begins to hide. Can I tell you something? That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do with your faith. And me to do with my faith is hide. Because somebody comes against what God has already said. And, and it says here, it says, it says that he goes into this cave, 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 9 through 15. He says, Then he came to a cave and where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, Elijah, I didn't give you this faith and do these miracles through you. So you go hide in a flipping cave. He says, he says, it says that Elijah replied, I, I have been zealous to serve the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They have torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Or words, God, you called me to be a prophetic voice to Israel, call them back to you, and I've been speaking truth to them all over the place, but it seems that nobody is responding, and I feel so lonely, and I feel like the only one that got this vision from you, and nobody else got the message, God. Nobody's responding. There ain't nobody else to help. So I'm just going to hide. Matter of fact, God, I just wish I could die. Because I don't have the faith anymore to believe that what you said can happen. Look what it says. Verse 11, God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm, a, a hurricane, a tornado hit the mountain. It was... Such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. In this big, huge, catastrophic event, this big thing, this spectacular thing. He wasn't in it. Look what it says. It says, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound. There was a sound. After the fire, after all these big events, these spectacular things. Elijah is standing there and he hears a sound and, and it's a sound of a gentle whisper. I wonder how many of us have got so busy 
looking for God to do the spectacular thing. And he's saying, look, I'll do the spectacular, but you got to hear my gentle voice and the whisper when I called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Don't get so caught up in the spectacular and miss the simplistic. When Elijah heard it, the Bible says he wrapped his face in a cloak sign of reverence. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Ask him that question again. I didn't create you to be in a flipping cave. He replied again, look, I've been zealous. I've been serving God. I've been watching you do all kind of wild and crazy things. I've been serving the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have not bro- have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, are not changing God, and they, kill- and they killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back. The same way you came. I find that fascinating. Because, see, what happens a lot of times is we get busy doing the spectacular. We get busy seeing God do the spectacular. We get a vision and a dream, and we're doing the good work of the ministry. I mean, we're doing it all for the right reason, but we grow weary simply because we've lost heart in in the good work when we first started the good work. And so I feel like, Through all of what I just read, what God's saying is, if we're going to see him execute the vision that he's given us, thousands of people, first thing you got to do is see it. If you don't see that, then you'll never have the heart to accomplish that. But see, a lot of us are satisfied with us four and no more. A lot of us are satisfied with, with our little little family and our two kids and our special spouse. And as long as they know Jesus, then, you know, and, and they're, we're connected to God, then, you know, the rest of the people can just go to hell. It don't really matter. See, see, you got to see that God's for people beyond your family, beyond your race, beyond your gender, beyond your native tongue. Because my Bible says that's God's vision. Is it your vision? Or is it just for God to save you? And if you can't see salvation past you and your family, then you're missing God's vision and you're missing God's heart. Because the Bible says that he will have worshipers from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And the heart of God is to rescue people and bring them back in relationships from all over the world. Multicultural, multilingual. He wants every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Do you see God's vision? Well, men free to go to church. Well, God's calling you and Frida to be the church. Not to just go to church. And I'm, you know, again, we're going to have, we're going to minister to every generation here. But, but until you see God's vision, then, then you won't have a vision for thousands of people. God is a God of thousands, of millions, of billions, 
And he will be worshipped from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And he is slow to his wrath here on this earth because he's being patient until people respond. It's his heart. And, and, and it's really why I came here. But see, because he grabbed my heart at the age of 32, almost 19 years ago. And we've been here in Myrtle Beach. I don't have. And we've executed a lot. What God reminded me of, and the reason I brought this stool here today, he says, you need to go back. You need to go back to where it all started. And you need to share with the people how it started and why it started. So I just want to share with you today, when God moved us to this community 14 years ago, we moved, it was my wife, Kim, myself, and our seven-year-old son into a house. And before we moved one ounce of furniture into that house, and God did the amazing miracles that he's done in thousands of people's life on this journey. We sit a stool, much like this one I'm sitting on in the middle of the living room, and we prayed, God, your will be done, not our will. We're here to share the good news of Jesus Christ on whatever platter you give us to share it on. We want our lampstand to hold the light up and reach people. And help people know who they are in Christ Jesus. And we sit and we pray. No agenda. No way. No one. Not a really great strategy. Other than to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love other people as we love ourselves and have been loved by God. And the only way we needed that was to extend hospitality. And open up our home and share what we had been given. And so... We set a stool in the living room before we moved an ounce of furniture. And we gathered around that stool with two guys helping us do some moving who weren't even Christians. They were just helping me unload furniture. And I said, hey, will you pray with us that God will do the amazing? Oh, sure. So we sit there and we prayed for God to do the amazing. And it's God took me back to that place that we started. I remembered why we came and what we came here for. And it was simply to share the heart of God with people so that people could respond to his heart and begin to permeate that throughout the world. It's the original reason we came. It's before we had this building. It's before we had any lights. It's before we had a hotel conference room to meet in. It's before we had any people. God has sent all those tools on the journey to share his heart. And, and I'm inspired by that because I'm, I'm going back to where we had the faith to believe that God was going to do amazing things. Instead of before we began to see those things happen, big things and little things, things that were discrediting his vision. And before we began to see, we had the faith to believe. I wonder if you have the faith to believe. I wonder if you could go back to the time when your faith collided with God's amazing grace. Because, see, that's where it really all began. And that's where God began to take me 
to grab hold of my heart and encourage my heart. He says, go back, turn, turn from just doing the work of the man. Oh, and we've been doing some great work. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. And we still need to do the work. Because God calls us to do the work. He calls us to persevere. He calls us to endure. But he calls us to remember and return back to what he did for us so that we can extend that to others. So I just want to grab your heart today with sharing about the moment that God grabbed my heart. And it wasn't just to plant a church. It was at the age of 32. And I'd gone to Sunday school when I was a kid. I'd probably said 15 prayers and asked God into my heart, but there ain't nothing changed. Life come at me. I gave up on God. I began to denounce that there God it was even a God that existed. I said, it's a bunch of flipping hogwash. Things began to happen in my life. My life began to fall apart. I began to experience pain beyond some of the pain that some of you have experienced or maybe not to the extent of some of you have experienced, but I experienced some deep, deep pain to the place that I decided that I would take my own physical life because life just wasn't working out like I thought it should and I've been told it should. I need to go ahead and tell you today That life has mountaintops and life has valleys. But faith in a God that has created you for his purpose will sustain you on the mountaintops and in the valleys. It's not about the valley nor the mountaintop that gives you the ability to persevere. It's to remember the God who takes you through the valleys. So I got to this place and then, you know what? I decided to, to, to get married to this young lady here 25 years ago, right here on the stage. She's still young, but she was really young then. You know what I'm saying? And for a minute, I, I played the part I went to church a couple of times with her. But again, like this ain't really working. And, and it ain't really producing much for me and my family. So I'm just going to go to work and I'm going to work myself to death because I'm going to live an American dream. I'm going to have what I want and get what I want and get it when I want it and how I want it. And I can outwork anybody on the face of this planet. That's, I mean, that's what I'm telling myself. And I went for it. And can I tell you something? I I, I basically didn't deserve the kindness and love that was extended to me because I was all about myself. I was all about what I could get and what I could accomplish and what I could do. And if anything got in the way of that, I would figure out a way to numb it out or do something about it. Maybe that's where you are today. And can I tell you what happened in that process is this lady became became basically bitter towards me and my life. And that really gave me another excuse just to deny God. 
but something changed. And instead of trying to be a holy roller, she decided to give her heart and let her heart hear from God how to be a wife that could win her husband to the Lord. And I mean this with all due respect. But trying to force somebody to change won't change anything. But loving someone to change will change everything. And so she actually went through a course and read a book. It's called The Power of the Praying Wife. And she began to pray about how she could change me. And God showed her to change herself. And in the process, he would change me. And I am a living testimony to tell you the day that my faith met met his amazing grace. And it was shown through the love and kindness and hospitality that took months and weeks. This all didn't happen in 30 seconds, okay? It took a long time. It was a process. And because, you know what, she chose to, to really just trust God and keep pressing through and not always be upset with me and all those kind of things. God began to show me something I'd never seen before. Then I decided to start going and listening to his words again in a church with her. And before I knew it, God began to grab hold of my heart. And I remember, I remember the day that my faith met his amazing grace. And I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was in this month of 1998. October of 98. And I remember we were driving up our long driveway and I turned to my wife, Kim, and I said, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Y'all keep talking about going to heaven and y'all keep talking about this is going to happen. And you know, I've been bad and you've been bad. How do you know you're going to heaven? And I mean, we're having this like deep conversation. And she simply looked at me and says, because I have faith in what God has done and what God is going to do. And I believe God over my circumstances. And in that moment, something shifted. And I, I, that's all I know how to tell you is, you know what, I'd prayed the prayer before. I had heard the story about Jesus hanging on a cross and his resurrection. I'd heard all of those. But I decided that day that I would take all of me and submit it to all of him. I would believe everything he said. And I would believe that it was the pathway to my great God. And because my faith collided with God's amazing grace that day in a driveway going up. You know, it changed everything. It wasn't just a transition that happened or a transaction action that happened. It was a a transformation. There was a shift 
inside of me. Everything began to hunger and thirst after new things, a different thing, a different kingdom. My spiritual eyes were open. I no longer just saw in the physical. I began to see in a spiritual dimension. I remember, you know, being changed in that moment. I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't have a theological education. I didn't have all the books of the Bible. Remember, I, I, I still said some bad things every now and then. I still do today. However, something shifted in me and everything began to, to be transformed. And, and I go back to that time. And when it shifted for me, I didn't do anything but just submit. And, and you know, I've decided that, that that's the way to begin to change people's life. And we try to do it through all of these vehicles and all of these things. And those are good because it may be the bridge to get people to make that shift. But see, and maybe you're the bridge for your spouse. I don't know. Maybe you're the bridge for a community. I don't know. But I believe it all starts when your heart connects with that amazing love and that amazing grace. And you go back to where it all started. And then you begin to trust God the way you trusted God in that moment and begin to do the work that he created you to do from that moment. Though you didn't even know how, you begin to do it with a love for him and understanding his love for you. And you begin to walk in that, serving other people. And so I'm inviting us to go back today. Do you remember? And if you don't, the Bible the psalmist wrote this. He says, taste and see the Lord is good. He says, taste and see the Lord is good. And if you're tired and you're weary and you feel like you can't travel on, that is what I'm inviting you to do today is to remember that moment because all of us have to have that moment. I mean, you can, you, can be talk to, you can talk to God, you can hear all about God all of your life, but do you remember that moment that, that your faith connected with God's grace and everything shifted? It may be a process. And I, I, hey, I'm not talking about the six times you went down in front of the church and prayed. I'm talking about the literal transforming, transforming power of God entered your life and shifted everything. That he opened your eyes to who he is, his amazing love, what you are experiencing today here on earth and what is still yet to come. That there is a kingdom, an unshakable kingdom that will invade this earth one day. Do you remember the day that your faith collided with God's amazing grace? And then in that starting place, that place, a heart, a heart transformation happened. And God began to do the miraculous. And if you don't. I'm inviting you to taste the goodness of the Lord. And see, this is part of it. See, we as a church, we're to, we're to serve the goodness of who God is to a lot of different people. Sometimes you serve it on a paper plate. Sometimes you serve, serve it on fine china. Sometimes you serve the goodness of, of the Lord and when people are in pain, sometimes you serve it when they're in prosperity. But the thing about it is, 
we're always serving the same good news, but, but we're different platters and we have different ways of serving that good news up, but we have to be about God's vision and God's, God's plan for this church. And, you know, this church has, has the heart of hospitality because it says in the Bible, because of God's kindness, because of God's hospitality, many people turned away from their sin and recognized the love of God. And I do believe that's God's heart, that we would serve his kindness and his goodness up to people that are hungry, people that are thirsty, people that think that they don't need anything in life. That was our whole vision with the conference center. And there's days I'm like, God, I don't know if this is ever going to work. Because a lot of people don't see that as a, as the goodness of the Lord. They just see it as a, as an occupation or something over there. But can I tell you why God gave us that conference center or why we're paying for that conference center? Because one day God showed me something. And he says, look, you want to reach the hardest reach people to reach in your community? It's people that don't have what we consider a physical need. The Bible says Jesus had an encounter with a rich young ruler. In other words, he didn't have need. He didn't have physical need like many of us have today. But he had a spiritual need. The Bible says that he turns to his disciples and he teaches them a lesson. He says it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because, because he's not hungering and thirsting after something. But he says a little bit later in that passage, he says, but with God, all things are possible. And so that means this. It means that with God and the platter you serve God on, all things are possible for rich people, poor people, all different colors of people to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God says, you want to reach the hardest reach people group in this community? I just showed you who they are. It's people who sometimes don't think they have a need. But I called you to break down the barriers with hospitality and love and kindness and excellence so that they can see that they're missing something in their life. That's the whole vision of that over there. But see, you won't serve with that heart. You'll just serve as an occupation when you go over there if you think that that's all it's about. But if you understand what God's trying to do through that, it's a vehicle to really reach people and help people know who God is. And again, I share that all with you today because we got to go back to the heart. We got to go back to what God wants us to be and do. And so today, I just want to close. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. And then I'll give you an opportunity before you leave today to respond to what I'm getting ready to ask you. Can you bow your heads, please? God, you're an amazing God. And today, God, I pray we would get back to the heart of worship. Uh, the heart of remembering the time when our faith collided with your amazing grace. And God, if there's a person here today that have just been having transactions with you, they've been doing this to get that, that God, today, I pray that they would have a transformation. That they would trust you, God, by faith. Trust that you have forgiven them of all of their sin. You have come as a suffering servant. You have displayed your amazing power through a resurrection. And you have given a vision of you in your resurrected state as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, I pray today that people would put their faith in that. 
And God, no matter what valley they may be in or what mountaintop they are on, that God, they don't trust the mountains nor the valleys, but God, they trust you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who triumphed over evil, death, and the grave. His name is Jesus. It's God's extension to you and me today. It's his grace gift. It's his favor. It's his unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. Just like I didn't deserve to be loved by my wife. But God extended it through her to me. If I got what I did deserve, I wouldn't even be here among you today. But I got what I didn't deserve. And it was just love and hospitality and kindness in spite of who I was. Would you receive that from God today? Because that's what that love demonstrated. That he loves you, my friend, no matter where you spent last night, last week, last month, or no matter what's going on in your life. He loves you. That's why he gave his one and only son. And my friend, if you've never received that amazing love, today is the day to say, God, I believe. I let my faith collide with your love as you shed your blood on that cross. And tell God you don't only want to receive the forgiveness, but you want to operate. With the power that only comes from him. You want a glimpse of what can be. You want a glimpse of of what is going to be. And you want to grab hold of that and walk in the fullness of who he says you are. Tell God by faith today you believe in the power of the resurrection. That Jesus resurrected from the grave and gives you that same power to walk through life. No matter what the valleys or the mountaintops look like. You're going to hang on to that. And my friend... My prayer is you never, ever get so busy doing life, ministry, or anything else that you lose sight of God's heart and forgiveness for you and forget to extend it to the world around you. Let us remember to forgive as we have been forgiven, to love as we have been loved. Let us remember to extend hospitality and kindness and goodness to people who don't even deserve it because we didn't deserve it either. Let us remember that we once lived in darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of light and let us hold up the light of the world that changed our life. His name is Jesus. Let us be the church. Tell God, thank you for his amazing grace. Tell God, thank you for a risen king. And right now, tell God you're looking forward to the day of his return. And you want to live connected until that happens. They fill you full of passion, power, wisdom, courage, and strength all the days of your life. Let us not grow tired of doing what is good. In due season, we will reap a harvest if we don't lose heart. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for your people. Let us have a heart of worship. Put Jesus at the center of everything. If you said that prayer today, just tell God, thank you. And welcome to the family. Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen. Give God a big hand clap of praise today.